This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to History Goes Bump Redux. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this Redux, we're going to be going back to the Golden Lamb Inn. Looking forward to it. Are you ready to go back? I'm ready. The Golden Lamb Inn is the state of Ohio's oldest hotel. The hotel has been the gathering place for residents of Lebanon for over 200 years. Through the years, it's changed ownership and names and hosted a variety of presidents and famous people. But the one constant has been the symbol for which it is named, the Golden Lamb. The deep history of this inn includes a connection to war, stagecoaches, and much more, which has led to rumors of hauntings at the establishment. For some guests, more than just their signatures remain at the inn. Their spirits seem to have remained. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Golden Lamb Inn. Ichabod Corwin, Silas Huron, Ephraim Hathaway, and Samuel Manning founded Lebanon, Ohio in 1802. When they platted the town, made up of a hundred lots, only two cabins had been built. Ichabod Corwin's cabin, built on Broadway, was Lebanon's first home. In 1802, Ephraim Hathaway purchased the structure from Corwin and opened Lebanon's first business, the Black Horse Tavern, a stagecoach stop along the way to Cincinnati in this building. In 1826, Hathaway replaced the log cabin with a brick building. At different times, it was known as the Only Hotel, the Bradley House, Lebanon House, and the Stubbs House. When added to the National Register of Historic Places on January 12, 1978, it was called the Golden Lamb. In 1803, Jonas Seaman and his wife Martha, along with their children, arrived in Lebanon. Seaman was born in New Jersey, where his father William owned a tavern in Hopewell. After his arrival in Lebanon, Seaman built a two-story log building on lots he purchased from Ichabod Corwin. 
The lots were located on Broadway at the crossroads of the north-south and east-west route through town, making it an ideal stagecoach stop. On December 23, 1803, Seaman paid $4 to secure a license from the Warren County Court to operate a house of public entertainment. It's unknown when the tavern was first named the Golden Lamb. It was a common practice for early businesses to hang gaily painted signs to attract travelers. Since many people could not read, the signs were often pictorial, often with animal illustrations such as geese, pigs, and sheep. So having a golden lamb on a sign was not unusual. Martha, who was industrious, thrifty, and a good cook, helped the inn become successful. You know what would have been even better? A pig with wings on it. You just mix the geese and the pigs. Maybe even put a little bit of wool on it. You could have the geese, pig, sheep all mixed together. That's a little scary. (laughs) I wonder what people would think about that establishment. Do I want to stay there? Do I want to have a drink there? Have I already been drinking and that's why I'm seeing that on the sign? Could be. I mean, when pigs fly and all. (laughs) They employed a few servants to help with spinning and weaving, churning, soap making, washing, and ironing. They had vegetable gardens, pig pens, and chicken houses behind their inn. Guests were served plentiful, good pioneer food obtained from the Siemens vegetable gardens, those pig pens, and the chicken houses, along with wild game like deer, bear, wild turkey. There was also hot cornbread and old-fashioned apple butter. I'm in. Stop right now because I'm hungry. We need to go here. No kidding. (laughs) I, I don't know. We watched Yellow Jackets, and at the end there, they kill a bear and eat it. Now, if I'm starving, okay. But I don't know. I don't think I'd want to eat bear. Well, I mean, you're up to trying something once, and it's a different situation watching that show versus, I'm sure, what they were serving people. So it's not like they're just grabbing it and sticking it over an open pit. Well, that's true. If you just put a bowl full of meat in front of me, I probably would eat it and be like, okay, just don't tell me what it is. You're definitely a carnivore. I think you'd be fine. Okay. (laughs) The inn stables, which faced Main Street, provided shelter for guest horses. They soon became known as a good place for a meal and to spend the night. After Lebanon's first courthouse was built across from the inn in 1805, the Siemens Tavern became even more popular. It was a gathering place for lawyers and politicians, some of them prominent in Ohio's legislature and courts. The tavern's public rooms became a gathering place where world news was exchanged and discussed and where messages and letters could be sent and or received. Financial problems plagued the nation in the 19th century. The cost of living continued to rise. Tavern licenses, which cost $4 in 1803, rose to $10 in 1805. Debts and the ability to collect them concerned all businessmen, including tavern and innkeepers. Despite the success of his tavern, Seaman had a lot of outstanding debt, which prevented him from paying his debts. In an attempt to collect the outstanding debts, Seaman put an advertisement in the Western Star in 1807, but it proved unsuccessful. He was forced to take out a mortgage, but still was unable to pay his debts, so in 1809, a public sale was held. Lebanon became a meeting place for troops raised in Hamilton, Butler, Claremont, and Warren during the War of 1812. The added activity and apparent prosperity did not help the Siemens, who were forced to finally give up their tavern. Ichabod Corwin purchased the Siemens Tavern and in 1815 replaced the log structure with a brick building to house his tavern. For short periods over the next five years, Ephraim Hathaway, A. Hill, and several others operated the tavern. After their arrival in Lebanon in early 1820, 
Henry and Mary Scher became the proprietors of the famous and successful hotel and tavern. They operated it together until Henry's death in 1830. Then Mary operated it alone for seven years. By this time, the tavern had truly become a house of public entertainment. Advertisements announced plays, animal acts, and freaks performed at the tavern. I'm there for sure. I love freak shows, and yeah. I hate to call them that, but I think they're amazing. And you know what? It gave a good living to people that were afflicted with certain things. Well, and they embraced the term, so that's why I don't mind using it. Since Lebanon had no theater and not many public buildings where entertainers could perform, the tavern became the town's first theater. Plans for Ohio's canals, good roads, railroads, and bridges were discussed in the hotel's parlors. Celebrations and political rallies were common occurrences. For a week in 1827, the hotel housed three prominent foreign guests, Lord Demnon and Lord Denison, members of the House of Lords in England, and the Earl of Derby, who was Lord Stanley at the time and later Prime Minister of England. For many years, the Golden Lamb had competition from the Indian Chief, a tavern located on Main Street behind the courthouse. William Ferguson was proprietor of the Indian. Both hotel taverns were stage stops. Coaches from Sandusky to Cincinnati stopped at the Golden Lamb, and coaches from Lancaster to Cincinnati stopped at the Indian. After Ferguson's death in 1831, the Golden Lamb once again became the premier hotel in town, with professional men and tradesmen locating their businesses near the hotel. In 1837, Mary sold the Golden Lamb to John and Aaron Polly, who kept it for a short time. One of the biggest events during the tavern's early history was the elaborate dinner served on June 9, 1840, to celebrate the arrival of the first canal boat in Lebanon. Isaac Stubbs purchased the tavern in February 1841 for $3,150. Wow. One month later, he sold it to Calvin Bradley for $6,700. Look at that. He doubled his money in a month. Quite a good investment there. Yeah, he uh, maybe cheated the earlier people with how much he paid for it. <laughs> At that time, the tavern became known as the Bradley House. Bradley was well known and remembered for many years after his death as being a genial host who provided fine food, splendid banquets, and gracious hospitality. One of his famous early guests was 30-year-old Charles Dickens. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> who arrived by coach from Cincinnati on April 20th, 1842 with his wife Catherine and her maid. Dickens kept a journal of his first trip to America, which later became the basis of his book, American Notes, published that year in October. He noted in his journal that they arrived at the Bradley House around 1 p.m. and dined shortly after with the boarders in the hotel. Beverage choices were coffee and tea because it was a temperance hotel. After ordering a brandy and being refused, Dickens wrote in his journal, This preposterous forcing of unpleasant drinks down the reluctant throats of travelers is not at all uncommon in America. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I would be saying the same thing. What do you mean I can't get a beer in here? After the meal and a change of horses, the Dickens party continued its all-night-long journey to Columbus, Ohio. To get a drink. I know. <laughs> of course, obviously, temperance must have been going across the country at that time. So he's I'm like, sure. this is not uncommon. This place sucks. <laughs> get us out of America now. Good grief. In 1846, Bradley moved to Cincinnati, where he opened the Western Hotel. Isaac Stubbs repurposed the building, which he and his heirs owned until 1914. Stubbs, a Quaker from Georgia, was a prosperous businessman who was engaged in many ventures. On March 7, 1845, he placed the following advertisement in the Western Star. 
That valuable tavern stand, long known as the Golden Lamb Hotel, now the Lebanon House, in the town of Lebanon, Warren County, Ohio, is now for rent or for sale. The house has lately been enlarged and is in the first state of improvement. The stabling, which is new, is large and commodious, and the whole premise is well worth the notice of those who may wish to purchase or rent property of this kind. Stubbs also advertised that a considerable amount of furniture used in the house could be purchased. On August 6, 1847, Samuel Egbert advertised that he was the manager of the Golden Lamb, and on October 29, 1847, E.A. Wiles advertised he was the manager of the Lebanon House. So apparently the name is going like back and forth about, okay, now it's the Golden Lamb, now it's the Lebanon House, can't figure out which is it. Business apparently was prosperous because new additions were frequently made over the years. In April 1854, Stubbs added a three-story wing on the north side of the original building. The 1860 U.S. Census lists Abner S. Ross Jr. as the hotel manager. In November 1865, the newspaper announced a change of managers. In 1870, the newspaper announced William H. Hart secured a long-term lease for the Lebanon House, then a little later announced that Hart was retiring and John Evans assumed the lease for the Lebanon House. Evans informed the paper he was selling the hotel. In order for the hotel to be a profitable operation, Isaac Stubbs realized an owner-manager was essential, so his son Albert became the manager and was associated with the hotel for 36 years. Which is good, because man, it seems like it's a revolving door here. (laughs) Back and forth, back and forth. He called it the Stubbs House for a while, but changed it back to the Lebanon House, which was more familiar to the traveling public. Good grief. (laughs) (laughs) Make up your minds, people. How do they even know where they're going? Where are we staying this time? What is it called? In 1878, Stubbs added a fourth story to the hotel to accommodate men building the railroad. The hotel's popularity continued to grow over the years. And over those years, 12 presidents have either eaten or stayed at the hotel. That's amazing. 12 presidents? That's really amazing. President John Quincy Adams and President Martin Van Buren were the only presidents who visited after their term in office. Other presidents who visited were Rutherford B. Hayes during his first campaign for governor of Ohio, James A. Garfield and William McKinley visited the hotel several times during their presidential campaigns. Warren G. Harding visited twice, once during his unsuccessful run for governor of Ohio and then for a successful run for United States senator. 17-year-old Ulysses S. Grant visited Lebanon while touring Ohio before attending West Point in spring 1839. William Howard Taft visited Lebanon to attend the funeral of Justice George R. Sage and served as one of 12 honorary pallbearers. While Governor of California, Ronald Reagan visited to campaign for Congressman Donald E. Buzz Luckin's re-election. And George W. Bush Jr. is the only president who visited the Golden Lamb during his term in office. He told a crowd in front of the hotel, I am proud to be the first sitting president to have visited here. Actually, I'm the first standing president today. While campaigning for her husband, George H.W. Bush Sr.'s first campaign for president, Barbara Bush spent a night in the Golden Lamb. Other famous people who visited the hotel are former U.S. Senator, Mayor of New York, and Governor of New York, DeWitt Clinton, author Samuel Clemens, better known as Mark Twain, poet James Whitcomb Riley, author Harriet Beecher Stowe, education reformer and a Massachusetts politician named Horace Mann, Jeremiah Morrow, who represented Ohio in the United States House of Representatives. He was also a U.S. Senator and Governor of Ohio, and artist Marcus Mote. Very impressive. It's a long list of famous people. Robert Jones and a partner leased the Lebanon Hotel in 1926, and by 1927, he and another partner purchased the hotel. 
By the end of the year, Jones was a sole owner. His heirs continue to own the hotel today. Jones changed the name back to the Golden Lamb. The hotel, which had 42 guest rooms and a dining room, was renovated into a restaurant with 10 dining rooms and 18 guest rooms, each named after a U.S. president or prominent person who visited the hotel. Jones and his wife, Virginia, once again made the Golden Lamb a well-known hotel and restaurant. When the couple retired in 1969, the hotel was leased to the Commissar family, who at the time owned Cincinnati's Masonette Restaurant. Jones died in 1996, and Virginia died in 2004. Their only child, Joan Jones Portman, died in 1994. Her husband, William C. Portman, died in 2010. His three children, U.S. Senator Rob Portman, Virginia Portman Amos, and William C. Portman III, inherited the hotel building, which they still own. Stevens Hospitality, run by Stephen W. and Stephen D. Mullinger, became the owners and operators of the Golden Lamb Hotel and Restaurant. The Mullingers and Portmans invested over $7 million in renovations, including a new kitchen. The Golden Lamb is currently being managed by the Phoenix Restaurant Group from Cincinnati, Ohio. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. Many of the guests and employees at the inn have had strange experiences, leading many to believe that the hotel is haunted. In 2019, the Food Network named the Golden Lamb Ohio's most haunted restaurant. Two night auditors have had paranormal encounters. One witnessed several chairs in the closed dining room fall over all at once. The other auditor looked over at the staircase one evening while working and saw a little girl standing there. The sight was unusual for the middle of the night as there were no adults around. Suddenly, the child disappeared. The Golden Lamb is believed to be haunted by a little girl that some believe to be named Sarah, who was the niece of the inn's manager, Isaac Stubbs. Others think she is Henry Clay's daughter, Eliza, who did expire at the inn due to a terrible fever. One housekeeper is confident that Sarah is the spirit. She heard a tricycle coming down the hall one day. A young voice said, Sarah's back. She ran to the hall but saw no one and nothing out there. An employee named Jerry told Cincinnati City Beat that she had heard an authoritative disembodied male voice call out, Sarah! She was sure it was Sarah's grandfather. The strange thing is that Sarah did not die at the inn. She grew up, got married, and died at a ripe old age. Was her stay here imprinted on the location somehow? Many items are heard falling off the walls in Sarah's room as well. Yeah, that always mystifies me unless, you know, we don't know. Do you get to pick an age? Can you change age when you're in the afterlife? And does she just say, you know, I had a great childhood there. I'm going to go relive that a little bit. I'm thinking that she probably enjoyed her time there so much that that's why she's returning. Clement Valendigam, I guess is how you say his last name. Say that name. five times <laughs> fast. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. Was a political force in Ohio during the Civil War era. He was a Democrat who opposed President Lincoln and he believed that the South should be allowed to secede. He did not believe that violence should be used to keep the nation together. The Democrats who supported this position were called Peace Democrats. General Ambrose Burnside issued an order in Ohio that outlawed anyone showing sympathy to the enemy, violating the freedom of speech of fellow Americans. Because as we know, under the First Amendment, you should be able to say whatever you want. Valendigam was found in violation and Burnside had him arrested. He was sentenced to jail until the war ended. 
but President Lincoln commuted the sentence to exile in the Confederacy to prevent peace Democrats from rising up. Vallandigham left the Confederacy after a few weeks and headed to Canada. He returned before the war ended and later headed the Ohio Democrat Party. He was a lawyer as well and would meet his ultimate end while defending a client. Vallandigham was discussing the case with an associate. He had two guns on the table, one loaded, the other not. A local paper describes what happened next. He picked up a revolver and, putting it in his right pocket, drew it out far enough only to keep the muzzle touching his body and snapped the hammer. The weapon exploded and sent its deadly missile into the abdomen at a point almost corresponding with that in which Myers was shot. Mr. Vallandigham exclaimed that he had taken up the wrong pistol. It's a little late to figure that out. Uh, yeah. This is why you check your guns before you play around with them like that. Good grief. Make sure the chamber's empty. He died the next morning on the second floor in a parlor at the Golden Lamb Inn. Vallandigham was trying to prove that his client did not murder the victim and that rather the victim had shot himself accidentally. His demonstration, while fatal, did result in the acquittal of his client. Oh, my word. Now, we're talking, this is a lawyer that's going to go to any length to get his client off. I will even shoot myself to death to prove you innocent. I don't think that that was his point, but no, that's what occurred. That's what happened. So now his spirit seems to have remained. His profile has appeared in a photo taken of a second story window. A manager believes she's heard the spirit sigh behind her. The manager said, I turned around fast because it scared me, but there was no one there. The server hadn't seen or heard anything, but I know what I heard. It was a human sound, maybe a man. After all these years, something finally happened to me and I couldn't believe it. A server and a housekeeper saw full-bodied apparitions of a man resembling Fallon Diggum. Civil War General William Sherman has a connection to the Golden Lamb. His father, Charles R. Sherman, was an Ohio Supreme Court justice when he stayed at the inn in 1929. He died suddenly during a stay at the age of 41. He left his wife and 11 children penniless, and she had to give most of the children up for adoption. General Sherman was one of those children. He was raised by a neighbor named Thomas Ewing. Could this fact have left his father guilt-ridden and thus trapped here in the afterlife? Visitors sometimes claim to see a gaunt gray man and smell cigar smoke that is attributed to his spirit. I can't imagine having to give up all 11 of your children. Oh, it's heartbreaking. And what's really crazy is he was a Supreme Court justice, but he left them penniless? I mean, where did all the money go that he was making? Maybe he didn't manage it well. I guess. Man. Some people just spend, 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 don't save. The gift shop has had its share of unexplained occurrences. One employee thinks she attracts spirits to her. There's a shelf in the shop lined with stuffed animals. Many times when this employee would pass the shelf, those stuffed animals would launch themselves towards her. Wow. Well, you know, it's not that violent. It wouldn't hurt you, but... (laughs) And Kelly, it was not just one at a time. It would be the entire shelf full all at once. I just have this visual of like the E.T. pile of stuffed animals with this head, but instead it's the employee with everything lumped around (laughs) Around her. (laughs) Well, and that's how you know this has got to be something paranormal. It's one thing if an animal falls off the shelf and kind of flits towards you a little bit, but the whole dang shelf? Right. This was witnessed once by another shop employee. This witness had an experience involving the cash register. She was talking to a guest about the supposed ghost at the hotel, And she said she did not believe there was really any ghosts there, 
All of a sudden, the register started spitting out a receipt with a bunch of gibberish keystrokes. Oh. You don't believe we're here? <laughs> ching, 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 ching. Too funny. A blogger at the website All Stays wrote, In addition, we not only experienced some weird lighting effects in our room when we stayed there, but we believe we brought home an otherworldly visitor from TGL who spent a month or more hiding and then replacing various things from our home until, on a hunch, we finally asked it to stop. It complied and or left our home immediately after that request. Chris Moody, who spent a night in the Harriet Beecher Stowe room at the Golden Lamb, wrote about his stay on the internet on August 8, 2012. He wrote that Sarah Stubbs' original room was the Harriet Beecher Stowe room, located at the top of the stairs on the fourth floor, but she was forced into a different room and was furious and has since returned to haunt her childhood home. Moody's only ghostly experience were loud footsteps on the floor in the room above his. On the way to his room, he passed a busy maid who immediately spotted his voice recorder and notepad. Are you a ghost hunter, she asked, and offered a word of caution. The doors to the TV case pop open all the time and it's not the latch because I've had the maintenance man check the latch. The phone in the haunted room doesn't work either. The maintenance guy has checked that too. I thought she was going to give him a little bit more interesting information than that, but okay. Yeah, just having those (laughs) pop open, I'd still be like, "Eh, could be the latch. There were only a few people staying in the entire hotel that night, including one person sleeping in the Ronald Reagan room on the fourth floor with Moody. While having dinner in the hotel restaurant, Moody quizzed the staff about their experiences with haunts at the Golden Lamb. His waitress showed him her hand with a nasty scar that stretches across three fingers, which were sliced open when a porcelain sink collapsed on her in the basement. She had just finished telling her colleagues about how all the ghost talk was hogwash when the sink came crashing down. Now, she's a believer and keeps her distance. She said she wouldn't go upstairs, downstairs, in the tunnels, nothing. She said, no thank you. Everybody knows they don't ask me anymore because I'm not going. By the end of his stay, Moody met three staff members who refused to venture to the top floor. The manager told Moody that one night, 40 glasses were destroyed when they suddenly fell from the cupboard and crashed onto the ground. She said, I can't explain that one. It was past midnight and the few guests staying overnight have gone to bed and the night auditor is sitting by himself downstairs listening to piano music from the kitchen. Suddenly the piece is broken by the sudden sound of thump, thump, thump above Moody's head. It stops for a moment and then starts again. He wrote that he heard stories of past guests saying they hear footsteps in the same room. He was on the top floor of the hotel, but it sounds like someone is stomping around directly above him through the ceiling. Then it stopped and didn't happen again. John Zimkus, the historian of the Golden Lamb, wrote in 2022, Once talking to a family enjoying their meal in the Shaker dining room, a mother told me that some years earlier, when her son was about four or five, The family was waiting in our lobby for a table during the holiday season. Their young son wasn't very patient and was getting very antsy. He finally turned to his mother and said, Can I play with that little girl over there? His mother responded, What little girl? The boy replied, The one in the white dress on the stairs. The mother looked over at the stairs and saw no one. After she told me the story, her son, who was now several years older, confirmed its accuracy. It is common belief among students of the spirit world that children are often more likely to see and sense ghosts than adults. And we definitely have found this to be true. That is true. (laughs) We even have that in our family. My nephew definitely saw two ghosts and he would see them repeatedly. And actually, I think he saw one at the farmhouse, too. 
And he's never seen a full-bodied apparition since he's gotten older. As a kid, he definitely was seeing them. And then there's this story. On another occasion, I met a couple who loved spending the night in one of the Golden Lamb's 17 historic hotel rooms. On this occasion, the husband, who was a musician, was going to spend the night by himself after being paid for playing in drinks. (laughs) I guess he was getting a lot of drinks. Alrighty then. At least he was being responsible. Now, all our guest rooms, if they are unoccupied, have a little rope across the doorway so patrons can look into unoccupied rooms without entering them. That's kind of cool. So you can kind of see some of the historical value if there's nobody in there. Absolutely. When this gentleman got to his room, being in the condition he was, he decided the best way to enter was to jump over that rope. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he this, made, is, this, this is not going to go well. This is a crazy story just waiting to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so he's been paid in drinks. He sees a rope and thinks, hey, I think I'll jump over it. Alley-oop. Yeah, he made his attempt and landed flat on his face. The second he hit the carpet, he swears a little girl was laughing at him. He got up and looked down the hallway and could find no one. Whether he heard Sarah Stubbs' spirit or if it was a result of all the spirits that he drank that night, we'll never know. (laughs) I'm guessing it might be the latter, but who knows? It could be the latter or it could be the... Maybe. Maybe he did hear a little girl. I mean, could be. How many little girls have you heard when you've been drinking too much (laughs) that aren't really there? Um, I, I can't say as I have, but I do know that I seemed to break the ice when I fell into that chair at the Velisca Axe Murder House when I was trying to have a conversation with Ina and Lena. All of a sudden, they just started communicating like crazy and they were turning on the flashlight for me and everything. And I, I started laughing at myself. And I think they were laughing at and with me. <laughs> That's true because we weren't really getting any interactions. And then that happened and the rest of the night just went great. So basically what he should have done is gone and ran and grabbed an EMF detector and a recorder, and he would have been good. That and a flashlight and just started laughing at himself and communicating. Yeah, she probably would have talked (laughs) to him all night. Are the experiences of all these people really just their overactive imaginations getting the best of them? Are the spirits of some of the guests still checked in? Is the Golden Lamb Inn haunted? That That is for you to decide. decide. Another great place to visit in Ohio. We're going to have to take like a whole month. I mean, for reals. And Ohio keeps coming (laughs) up. I mean, people are probably like, why do they keep covering all these places in Ohio? And now you're doing a redux of a place in Ohio. This is all random. I don't like go through and specifically pick out things. I try to keep like, let's do something in America. We've done a whole bunch of American. Let's do something over in Europe to give us a little variety. But yeah, something's telling us to go to Ohio. I was going to say, are you suddenly new to synchronicity? I mean, it's just, (laughs) hello. We just need to go. Yeah, I don't know a thing about it around here. It never happened. <laughs> I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this Redux. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.